Hello friends, welcome to the Hillside Church podcast. My name is Brad and I serve Hillside Church as the lead pastor. We're so glad to be able to share God's word with you in this way. God has so much in store for you and for your life. And one of the ways God works in our lives is through the study of his word, like the message you're about to hear. Our prayer for you is that as you share in this message, if it's me preaching or if it's someone else, is that God's word would minister to your heart and life in a most powerful way. Thanks again for being part of our church family. God bless you. If you'd like to to follow along this morning in the Word of God, if you'd like to to look at the scriptures we're going to be looking at today, um, you can look to Daniel chapter 6. Today is the the last day, the last in our series, Culture Shock, where we've we've been talking about what it means for us to, to live as Christians and to operate inside of our culture today. Um, we can sometimes fall into this trap of, of thinking that, that as Christians we need to look around at the world around us and see how our world is developing and how our culture is changing and how things are moving and, and we need to, to, to rage against that. That, that we need to, to fight against that, that we need to be at war with the culture. But what we've been talking about as we've been looking at the life of Daniel is, is we are not at war with culture. We are the culture. We are a part of the culture around us. And so it's not that we somehow reject and try and push away culture and we go to war with culture. We want to affect culture. We want to change culture. We, we are a part of the culture. And God has called us as his followers and his children to really be a part of shaping culture and making culture into what we, and, and even bigger than that, what he would want it to be. And so we've been dealing with this question. This is the fundamental question we've been asking for the last four weeks. How do we stand firm in our faith while living in a rapidly changing culture? That as we, as we live inside the culture where we live in, things can change so quickly and at such a fast pace where, where it seems like we're headed in one direction and then before you know it, we're headed in a different direction. And before you know it, we're headed in a different direction and, and things on a global scale are changing and things on a local scale are changing. and There's so much happening. How do we stand firm in the middle of all of that? And what we've been looking at is the story of Daniel, the story contained in the book of Daniel, and and to to try and help us understand the answer to this question. And this week, what we're going to look at is probably what the most famous story from the life of Daniel, Daniel and the lion's den. If you you went to Sunday school, if you grew up in church, you you probably are familiar with this story. You probably, and if you're not, that's okay, because we're going to walk through the story this morning, and we'll unpack a whole bunch about it. But we're going to look at, for Daniel, what it meant and how he stood firm as culture rapidly changed around him. So the context for the story we actually, we started to share last week. Daniel is now under his third king in a row. That he's been in exile in Babylon for for a number of years now. He's probably about 70 years old when the events of Daniel and the lion's den take place. And he's under his third king. Um, He's lived under Nebuchadnezzar. And then he lived under his son Belshazzar. And now he's under King Darius. 
And so he's, but the, the common theme that we saw last week is even though he's been there for a long time and even though he's uh, under all these different kings, each time there's a new king, they love Daniel. They think he's great. And they just continue to, to promote him and move him up and give him more authority. And Daniel may be a, essentially a slave. He's a captive. He's a, he's, a, he's a refugee in the middle of a war. And yet he just keeps getting promoted more and more and more inside of the kingdoms and, and by these kings. And ultimately we see in Daniel chapter 6, if you read the opening verses, Daniel essentially ends up as the second in command for the entire empire. Not bad for a captive slave. He's not related to anybody significant. He's not the king's son. He's a nobody of nobodies. And yet, he's the second in command for the entire empire. And so he's ro ro risen to this place of prominence and, and it becomes a problem for the people around him. See, there are people around Daniel that are also trying to rise up inside the ranks of this empire, and they're not captive slaves. They're Babylonians. They've dedicated their life to this. They are trying to, to work with inside their empire and their culture for their king, and they're not getting as far as Daniel. And so they're getting frustrated. They're getting jealous because Daniel just keeps getting promoted, but they're also frustrated and jealous as we read because it's not just that Daniel keeps getting these promotions, but as they look to try and figure out how to deal with the problem of Daniel, they can't find a solution. There's nothing that they can bring. There's no like skeletons in his closet. There's no hidden scandal. There's no, you know, tweets from 10 years ago that they could bring up and say, look at what he said all these many years ago. He shouldn't be in charge. There's no emails. There's no phone conversation recordings. There's, there's none of these things that, that we can try and do now when somebody gets in a place we don't like and we just dig back through old Facebook posts and go, aha, I found something. They're trying. And they can't find anything. They can't figure out what to do with this Daniel. Daniel has this incredible reputation. But we need to always remember that it was a reputation that was developed while living in a culture that wasn't his. And was, in so many ways, this culture that he's living inside of counter to what his culture was and what Daniel would have wanted his culture to be. See, he wasn't set up for success in this culture, and he didn't get where he got by embracing the culture. Daniel lived very counter to the culture he was in, but yet God continued to, to use him and continued to move him up inside of the, this empire. And so as they're looking for reasons to, to, to get Daniel out of there, ways to get Daniel out of there, Daniel has this sparkling reputation, but it's not because of compromise, and it's not because somehow he, he, he towed the party line. He continued to, to stand for God. And so these folks that are looking to get rid of Daniel, they realize that there's only one way to catch him up, and that's for culture to shift. For culture to rapidly change. Something is going to have to change inside of culture in a way that it hasn't changed yet so that Daniel can be found wanting. That we can make Dan we need to make Daniel into a villain. And the only way it seems like we're going to be able to do that is to change the rules on Daniel. 
And so they come up with a plan to, to make one of the king, or keys of Daniel's life, one of the, the hallmarks of the life of Daniel. We need to figure out how to make Daniel's life against the law. We need to figure out something we can do to make Daniel's life illegal so that then we can point to, look, Daniel's breaking the law. What we're going to have to do is change the law specifically for Daniel. So if we start in Daniel chapter 6, verse 6, it says, So these administrators and satraps, these were the other guys surrounding the king, went as a group to the king and said, May King Darius live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce this decree. That anyone who prays to a god or human being during the next 30 days, except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now your majesty issued the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. Verse 9, so King Darius put the decree in writing. The king essentially, or the leaders, the people around the king come to the king and they say, you know, king, you should set yourself up as a god. And somehow, he thinks he can make it a law that people can pray to him. And that somehow this is going to be a thing. This is a weird thing, it feels like to me. That, does the king believe people can pray to him? Like, that's weird. Like, he, know, he has to know he can't hear people's prayers. He's got to be aware of that. That, like, functionally, as human beings, we can't hear each other's prayers. But yet, the words of these people seem so appealing and so generous with the king and how much they love him and respect him. The king says, you know what? Maybe people should pray to me. That sounds good. That makes sense to me. It's now a law, and it cannot be changed. You have to pray to me, your king. Which, again, it seems like you're just filling up your days. Like, if, if everybody in the whole kingdom is praying to you, what are you doing with those prayers? It's going to make you awfully busy. And think of this scene in Bruce Almighty where he's trying to answer all the prayers in the emails and his fingers are flying. But, like, what is this even happening? But yet this, in a moment, becomes the culture that Daniel lives inside. Culture changes like that. That... Daniel was free to practice his religion, and in a moment, he's no longer allowed to pray to his God. He can only pray to this human king. This is such a cultural touchstone moment. This is such a cultural change, and it's a cultural change that simply just cannot mesh with the kingdom culture of Daniel's life. The, the two things, they, they don't work together. You, you can only pray to the king. Well, Daniel can't only pray to the king. So Daniel's put in a position where he has to make a very difficult choice in his life. Culture versus faith. Faith versus culture. The culture of the king versus his kingdom culture. Is Daniel going to be led by the fear of what could happen? And we read that, that the penalty is getting eaten alive by lions. That's not a fine. 
That, that's not a, that's not a oh, well, you know, you need to go in jail for, for a couple days to, to set your... This is pretty permanent and dramatically permanent. Is he going to be led by fear of what could happen or is he going to be led by faith? And we read about Daniel's response to this right away. In verse 10, Daniel gets the news that this is now the law. Now, when Daniel heard that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. Culture says you're not allowed to pray. You cannot pray to your God, to any God. You can only pray to the king. Daniel says, I'm going to continue to pray. Culture says there's going to be consequences. Daniel says, I'm going to continue to pray. So the question for this series, we talked about it earlier. How do we stand firm in our faith while living in a rapidly changing culture? And we see Daniel live this out brilliantly. He was going to stand firm in the midst of confusion. He was going to stand firm in the midst of pressure. When the culture says you need to pray this way, Daniel prays his way. When everyone in the culture says you need to bow down and worship the king, Daniel bows down and worships the king of kings. When everyone is allowing fear to be their guide, Daniel was choosing faith over fear. Daniel doesn't stand against the king. He stands up by kneeling down for God's kingdom. He, he doesn't go to war with the king. He goes to God in prayer. And we see so much of what we've talked about over the last couple of weeks. Daniel was asked to compromise. You know, this wasn't forever. This wasn't from now for the rest of your life. You're never allowed to pray. It was just don't pray for 30 days. You can do that. It's okay. Just don't pray for 30 days. It'll be okay. Just compromise a little bit. Just for a month, it's not that bad. But Daniel says, I'm not going to compromise. I'm not going to not pray. Three times a day I pray, and three times a day I'm going to pray. Daniel was faced with consequences for not bowing down to culture. Big time consequences. And Daniel says, if that's the consequence I have to face, that's the consequence I have to face. And just like as we talked about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, his faith was going to be tested. His choice to stand up is going to put his faith to the test. Is God still God if you get eaten by a lion? We talked about that with Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. Is God still God if you get thrown into the furnace? If God, is God still God when things don't go the way you want them to? It's one thing to say, I'm going to stand for God. It's one thing to say, I'm going to live out my faith. I'm going to do everything I can. But what about when it gets really hard? And what about when like hard, really hard, is so far in the rearview mirror you can't see it anymore? And you're standing on the edge of a den full of really hungry lions. And you go over the edge. Is God still God? And Daniel has to make a choice to say, 
I'm going to trust that God's going to be still God, even if I got to be eaten by a lion. But like we talked about last week, um, even though inside of the culture, Daniel stuck out, stuck out like a sore thumb because he didn't allow living in Babylon to make him a Babylonian, the king still loved and admired Daniel. See, the king didn't realize that he was making Daniel illegal. He didn't realize that this was like a one-man law. He didn't realize the heart behind all of this. And so the, the king is, is then confronted by what happens, that, that his, his, his friend, his, his number two, is about to become an issue. The men who are out to get Daniel, they go and they report to the king, King, we've found the first person caught defying your decree. We got one. We found one. And remember, king, you can't change this law. Remember, we wrote it in such a way, that, and you agreed to it, that this law cannot be changed, and we found one. So let's make an example of them. Let's show our, our, our empire how serious we are. It's Daniel. It's your golden boy. It's this guy that you love and you trust so much. King, he wouldn't follow your decree. He wouldn't listen. He wouldn't do what he was told. And remember what you said. If anyone, anyone is caught disobeying the decree, they need to go into the lion's den. It's the law. Remember that you said that. There's not a way out of this. So we got one. It's Daniel. Let's go get the lion's den ready. But because of who we talked about, who Daniel was to the king, the king's heart is broken. Is, is he's distraught by this news. This isn't what he wanted. This isn't what he had thought. This isn't what he thought was going to happen as a result of this. But a law is a law. And even the king isn't above the law. So whether the king wants to do it or not, Daniel's into the lion's den. And that's just what happens. Like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we can read this story and, and anticipate the Lord doing something. God's going to save them. It's going to come right down to the last minute. And then an angel's going to swoop in and pick them up off the platform. It's going to be this incredible story. It's going to be amazing. And we got to wait a little longer. Okay, he's getting closer, but God's going to do something. God's going to do something. Get a little closer. God's going to do something. And then they throw him in the lion's den. God didn't do something. What do we do with this? And so the king goes home and he's, he's torn up about it all night. His friend, his number two, Daniel, is in the lion's den. He's probably dead right now. And the king, it says he doesn't eat. And he doesn't sleep. He, he spends all night worried about Daniel. And if you grew up in church or if you ever went to Sunday school, you know how this ends. And if you don't, we can turn to, to verse chapter 19. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near to the den, he, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God. 
Has your God, whom you serve, continually been able to rescue you from the lions? Is God still God when you're in the lion's den? Daniel answered, which must have been an incredible shock. I'm sure we've all lived in moments in our lives where you ask a question that you think you know the answer to. Maybe you're asking it in hope. Maybe you're asking a question and you're like, I'm going to ask this. I know what answer's coming. I don't want the answer that's coming, but I need to ask this anyway. And the king comes in pain, in anguish, in hope, fearing the silence. Daniel, are you in there? And then he hears an answer. God was still God when Daniel was in the lion's den. And notice the way he answers the king. It's not, hey, jerk, I'm still here. I think he could be justified in being frustrated with the king. I wouldn't hold it against him. I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't read in scripture if he was like, hey, man, still here, thought you could kill me. God's going to get you. No, his response is, may the king live forever. My God sent his angel. God was still God in the lion's den. And he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I done any wrong before you, your majesty. Then verse, verse 23 and the king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted his God. Is God still God when we're in the lion's den? Friends, the answer is yes. God is still God. So let's bring this all the way back around to the core question we've been talking about. We've said it a few times today. How do we stand firm in our faith while living in a rapidly changing culture? There's three things that I want to share with you to end off our time together today and to end off this, this series with. Three things that I think we can see from this story. Three things that, that we've sort of talked about and bring us to a conclusion that we need to do in order to stand firm as culture changes and swirls and moves all around us. Three things we need to do. First, we need to stand firm in prayer. Now you may say, Pastor... Daniel didn't stand firm in prayer. He kneeled. And I would say, funny guy. Ha, 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 you're very funny. Um, that's a pastor joke, and you should be up here doing it. Um, I don't mean you have to literally stand to pray. Although maybe you should. But I mean, Daniel was committed to prayer. He stood in prayer. He made a choice to stand in his prayer life. He made a choice to continually stand, to pray to God. Whatever was going to happen. Friends, prayer needs to be a key and core part of our lives. You know the most dynamic, most impactful most life-changing part of your day can be your time spent in prayer. 
And sometimes we, we can feel like, oh, well, I need to get my to-do list done. I need to get things done in order for my life to feel impactful and change. And all of these things, I really need to be about getting these things done. And then if I got time left at the end of the day, I'll try and pray a little bit. But prayer can be the most impactful, life-changing part of your day. Now, if you were with us last week, you may say that you told us last week we really need to be in the Word of God if we want to be standing firm. Now you're telling me i got to pray too? That's right. You may say, the list is getting longer of the things you're asking me to do. Yes, it is. We need to be a people who pray. If you want to stand firm inside of culture, if you want to be shaped by kingdom culture, you need to be in God's word and you need to be praying. I want to challenge you. Wednesday night prayer should be one of the most well-attended events that we do. Because we as a people should be like, oh, we're praying together? How can I get there? We should be praying together. This is the literal story of Daniel. Daniel stands up for prayer by kneeling to pray. He must pray. He must pray immediately after hearing the news. He doesn't take time to think about what he should do. He doesn't count out the days on the calendar and see what it would look like. Immediately he goes and he prays. He needed to pray, and so do we. The second thing that we need to do in order to stand firm inside of our culture, we need to stand firm in purpose. See, one of the great things that culture will, will do to us as, and as we try and follow God in, in culture is to say to us, yeah, but what about that thing over there? Pay attention to what's going on over here. Pay attention. Look over there. Look at that thing. How do you feel about that thing? Isn't that important? Shouldn't your focus and your identity and your emotions and, and all that you are be focused on that? And, and sooner or later, we can start to take our eyes off our reason and our purpose. And we're seeing all kinds of things that have pulled our attention away from where it should be. But here's the thing. I want you to, to hear this and to take this away today. That if you're going to take anything away today, and there's lots to, and I don't want to say it's just this, but this would be a really good thing to take away. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are a big deal. And God has given you a purpose that is literally not like anyone else's in the history of the world. Past, present, or future. And you may say, yeah, but who am I? Look at this mess. You're telling me that this is a big deal? Come on, there is like 50 people in this room, and there's probably like 48 of them that it would be better off, because you know that there is one person maybe in here that you think you're better than. And you'll give yourself that. But you look around and you go, look, look at all of these other people. They would be better off doing this. Than, if God's given me a purpose, look at all these other people. Wouldn't they be better? I'm no one special. 
They have a purpose. They have big deals. But here's the truth. No one else in the history of the world could be entrusted with your purpose. No one else who has ever lived, who is living, or who will live could be entrusted with the purpose that God gave you. Do you know how I know that? Because if they could be, he would have given it to them. But he didn't. Scripture will say that he knitted you together inside of your mother's womb. And you don't knit by accident. You don't do something that requires care and attention and intention by accident. God made you you. He put you where you are. He put you in your circle. He put you in your life. He put you in your family. He put you in your job. He put you in all of these things. Not because he needed somebody and you were the last one left in the pile. But because he looked at, your, at the situation and he said, I need exactly one of them. And so anybody else, you think of whoever it may, and it may sound really weird, but like Billy Graham couldn't have been entrusted with your job. Because if he could, he would have been. But he's not. He says, I don't need Billy Graham, I need Janice. He says, I don't, I don't need John Calvin, I need Brenda. I don't need the Apostle Paul, I need Chelsea. I don't need somebody else. I need you. One of the great weapons that the enemy can use in our lives is to get you to look at something, anything, to get you to do something, anything other than what you were created to be. And so we need to make sure that we remember who created us and why we were created, and stand firm in our purpose, and not allow the changes that take place in culture to pull our eyes away from it. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58 says, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Stand firm, giving yourself over to what God has called and created you to do because it's what God has called and created you to do. And we don't want to have to look back and go, man, I have wandered far. And the last and the final of our three things for today Stand firm in God. If anything else, stand firm in him. You say, I don't know my purpose. I don't know why I'm here. I don't really know how to pray. I, I don't know how to do those things. If both of those things, you think, I, 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 I need to start somewhere. Start by standing firm in God. I like the way the, the transliteration, the, the message, phrases Matthew chapter 10, verse 32. Stand for me, Jesus would be speaking, stand for me against the world opinion, and I'll stand up for you 
before my Father in heaven. Isn't that a beautiful picture? As we choose to to make a stand for Jesus, as we choose to stand up for Jesus in culture, it's not just that we're standing there. Remember, we talked about when we stand for Jesus, we're not standing alone. And even when it feels like we're standing alone, even if we're standing up and seemingly no one else around us is standing and we think, "I, I guess I'm doing this to stand, Jesus says, I see you standing. I see it. I see, and I will stand with you. I will stand for you. And this is really the fulfillment of the story of Daniel. That as Daniel stands up for Jesus against the world opinion, Jesus stands up for Daniel and shuts the mouth of the lions. The question of how do we stand firm in the midst of a swirling, changing culture really comes down to one issue. What are we standing on? And if we're standing on the right things, as Jesus said, if, we're, if we've built our foundation on the right things, when the, when the wind comes and the rain comes and the floods come, we'll be able to stand firm. If we're standing in truth, if we're standing in grace, if we're standing in God's word, if we're standing in prayer, if we're standing in who God created us to be, if we're standing in God, then as culture changes, as global politics and international conflicts change, as leaders and governments change, as the world changes around us, we'll stand firm in God because we've made the choice to stand firm on God. Let's pray. Does life hit you so hard that you've been knocked down? Thanks again for being a part of this message from Hillside Church. We pray that God was able to speak to you through what was shared. We're so grateful to be able to share God's word with our church community and family. And that includes you. And we'd love to hear from you. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Hillside Airdrie. You can contact us through email at info at hillsideairdrie.ca. Or you can go to hillsideairdrie.ca and click on contact us from the main menu. Or you can find our pastoral team contact by clicking on our pastors from the Our Church drop-down menu. Our vision for everyone that shares in Hillside Church is that they would know God, know his hope, know his purpose, and know his power in their lives. And we pray this message ministered to you. At Hillside Church, we're a family not by blood, but a family that's been bought by blood. As family we go. We both know what it's like to be hurt. We both know what it's like to feel pain. But I think it's safe to say we're on to better days. Can you, can you relate? Can you relate? Have you ever been left when you should have been loved? Has there ever been a time when you stayed but you should have run? Cause I've been real, I've been fake. Been a sinner, been a saint. Now I don't know what it's like to be you You don't know what it's like to be me What if we're all the same in different kinds of ways Can you?
what it's like to be You don't know what it's like to be me But by the grace of God we'll